theyeshiva.net. Right now, we are going to have a, uh, a um, opened uh, a, a, a segment on uh, on chinuch, on raising our children with Rabbi Jacobs, and a few technical uh, um, piece of information. If you want to join the conversation, you want to call in. You could call seven one eight win one two three four, and when you get there, you, when you get on extension eight, and that will uh, lead you to the. Um, to, to, to the live, uh, talking on the air live. Or you could text in a question to 646-844-2466. Again, to text in a question, 646-844-2466. Or if you want to email a question, live at a time.org, live at a time.org. Um, you could, uh, again, live at a time.org, you could email any questions you have. Uh, in this segment. Again, to call in 718-WIN-1234, extension 8, or call 718-WIN-1234 to enter your raffle tickets. Actually, as we said, this is something that we're trying new. This is, this is something that we're trying new, and we want interaction from our, from our listeners, from those of you that are watching this on atime.org. Um, we uh, have the pleasure and the honor and the cover to have with us Rabbi Jacobson. He's one of one of the most sought-after speakers in the Jewish world. He lectures uh, to Jewish and non-Jewish audiences all over the world. Um, Rabbi Jacobson is, uh, was the first Rav and Rosh Hashiva to be invited by the Pentagon to deliver the religious keynote to the U.S. military uh, chief chaplains. And Rabbi Jacobson has inspired and touched thousands all across the globe. Actually, this is not the, his first interaction with the time. It was just a short few months ago that he was a guest speaker at the Atime Shasathon. And uh, we feel that it's nobody better than him. He's definitely uh, to answer our questions, rising to, the challenge, rising to the challenge of raising happy children. Rabbi Jacobson, welcome to the Atime Auction. How are you this evening? Thank you, Baruch Hashem. It's a true honor and pleasure to be here with uh, all of you tonight. So um, I know we're going to be able to answer questions, but I guess uh, you have some opening remarks that uh, when, it comes, uh, when it comes to our children. So our theme tonight is uh, raising happy children in a challenging world. So let me begin with an anecdote. They uh, were sitting here, uh, where are we sitting? In the ice cream house in Borough Park. In the ice cream house in Borough Park. So this, uh, this guy really needed a home to live in, and he sees a sign on 15th Avenue in Borough Park, just one or two minutes away from here, uh, a home for rent, one floor for rent, the top floor. Wow, great. He goes in, and he meets the landlord. Yeah, he would like to rent the home. The landlord says there's only one condition. He tells him in Yiddish, Amishpacha on kinder. We'll only rent out the top floor to a family without children. A couple, no kids. He says, I'm an older man. My wife is an elderly woman. We go to sleep 8.30 p.m., which means by now they would be asleep already. We cannot be dealing with children all night, screaming, hollering, jumping. We need serenity. We need manucha. We need tranquility. The man says, no problem. They sign a lease. He's going to rent the home for a few years. The first night, this elderly man and his wife, they lay down to rest. It's 8.30 p.m., and suddenly, do they hear jumping on top? The whole ceiling is caving in. After three hours of rash, of a tumult, of a humul, of a commotion, 
the man finally can't fall asleep. He runs upstairs and he sees that this new couple that rented the house, Kanayanara, has 14 children. And they're jumping all over the place. The furniture is moved, is relocated. They're jumping on the beds. It's Purim, Simchastera. He runs over to this man, to the renter, his tenant. He says, Lomarimi, sonny, why did you deceive me? We made up. Kinder, no kinder, no children. Why did you deceive me? And the tenant says, Dosa kinder, dosa chayas. These are children, they are not children. These are animals, these are chayas. It's uh, not such a funny anecdote. I know you're laughing, but it's not such a funny anecdote because very often that is uh, the challenge that many parents have. How do we raise happy children? So I'm going to share with you a little insight and then we'll go to the telephones and the text messages and deal with the questions that are coming in. I see we already have a few questions. There's a Gemara in Chulin. It's a fascinating Gemara. I think it's Tafzadik Aleph. The Gemara discusses the story of Yaakov Avinu's dream. Yaakov is sleeping at night. He has this ladder on the earth and the top reaches the heaven. The angels are coming up and down. And the Gemara says, why are the Malachim going up and down? They go up and they're gazing at Yaakov's image above. And then they come down and they're gazing at Yaakov's image below. And the obvious question is, what was this all about? First of all, what does it mean that Yaakov has two images, the image above, the visage below? And why are the Malachim going up and down to look at these two images? And one of the possible interpretations is one of the fundamentals when it comes to Chinuch. Every single one of us, every single human being, every single child has two images. There's your image above and there's your image below. Your image above is, how did the Rebbeinu Shal Olam imagine your existence when he conceived your birth? When Hashem decided, I want this neshama to come down to the world, what did Hashem see in you? What did He see as your tachlis, as your goal, as your potential, as your true identity, as your true kayak? That's your image above. The way you were imagined and conceived, kevayachal, in the machshava, hakduma, in the primordial thought of the master of the universe. Your image below is what you actually look like. Right here. And it's very rare that the image below should reflect the image above. In Yaakov Avinu's case, the Malachim were astounded by the fact that the two images mirrored each other. They tell this anecdote. A baby camel turns to her mother. Says, Ma, I have a question. Go ahead, my dear daughter. And the baby female camel says, Mommy, she probably didn't say it in Yiddish. I don't understand. Why is it that we have these ugly, grotesque-looking eyelashes? And mother says, we're not regular animals, we're camels. As thus, we are chosen to trek hundreds, thousands of miles in the desert. There are sandstorms to protect us from the sandstorms we have these eyelashes. A few minutes later, the daughter says, Mommy, I have another question. Why do we have these ridiculous-looking three-toed legs? And Mom says, Heh, when you have to trek through the Sahara Desert thousands of miles, you need 
The support. So we have these three toad legs supporting us. Mommy, why do we have these ugly humps on our backs? <laughs> we trek thousands of miles through the desert. There's no water. So therefore, we were designed in a way that we drink enormous quantities of water and we have a place to store them in our body so we can go for huge amounts of time without drinking water. That's why we have these humps. The daughter is silent. A few minutes later, comes back to her mother and says, Mommy, aha, I get this. We have these ugly eyelashes to protect us from the sandstorms because we're made to trek thousands of miles in the desert. We have the three-toed legs because we're made to march thousands of miles through the desert. We have these humps because we're made to store enormous quantities of water as we trek thousands of miles through the desert. So what in the world are we doing in a cage in the Bronx Zoo? Why am I in a cage in the Bronx Zoo? That's the two images. There's your image above who you were made to be, who you were conceived to be, who God you imagined you could be, what you are in your essence, in your potential, in your calling. And then is what I am in reality. The foundation of Chinuch is when I look at my child, when you look at your child. Never only look at Muzdi Yoikna Lamata, at his or her image below. Always have the insight and the perspective to be able to look at Muzdi Yoikna Lamayla. To be able to look at his or her image above, to be able to look at your child and ask yourself, what did God see in this child when he created her? What did the Rebbeinu Shaloylam perceive in this neshama, in this body, in this life, when he imagined her? We always need the perspective of the Muzdi Yoikna Yishal Yaakov Lamayla. I'll tell you something I once heard from a Talmud of mine. His parents got married. And they fought for many, many years. There were dishes that were being thrown in that kitchen. And after 17 or 18 years, his father, was contracted with terminal illness. He passed away, I think, a year or two later. And the son told me, oh, and they got divorced. Right before the father got sick, they finally got divorced after 18 years of conflict. And the son told me, that the day that his parents got divorced was more painful for him than the day his father died. I said, how do you, how do you say it? What do you mean by that? He says, the latter was not voluntary. The former was voluntary. Now, I know that sometimes divorce is a necessity, and sometimes it saves lives. But it just demonstrated to me the sensitivity of this child, that the conflict between his parents was so, so painful for him. Wow, um, we have on the line with us uh, Rivka from Brooklyn. Are you? You're on the air. Are you there, Rivka? Rivka. I am. Hi. Okay, you, um, you have a yes, question for Rabbi Jacobson. You hear me? Yes, we hear you. Yes, I do. Hi. Um, I'd like to know what what can be done with a child who really thrives on negativity, on negative attention. I, I, you know, I, me and her father, you know. We really try very hard to uh, really, you know, create a positive atmosphere in the house. And it's just, she, she loves, you know, talking about sad things and talking, you know, talking about the, the unhappy things. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And I'd like to know if there's any magic to do about that. Well, listen, it's, 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 I, I haven't heard enough to really be able to give insightful advice. But just from what I have heard, one suggestion that may work, and that is 
Children have to be listened to. Many of us are good parents, loving parents, dedicated parents. We work so hard to create a nice home and a beautiful home, and in many ways we're successful. But we don't realize how much children have to speak and how much we have to listen to them. And not only listen to what they're saying, listen to what they're not saying, listen to what's on their mind, listen to what's on their heart. The art of listening is an art that many people don't don't realize. I'll give you a personal a personal example in my life. There was a child of mine who was complaining about something to me, and I was offering him solutions, and I was explaining to him why it's not so bad as he thinks, and why this was done, and that was done. And my wife suggested to me after, she said, you know, instead of giving him advice, why don't you just try validating his emotions? Just listen and validate and tell him yes. I know it's hard, I know it's very difficult. And then maybe at a later point he'll be ready to listen to a perspective, but right now he just has to feel heard. And I tried doing that and I saw amazing results. So maybe in your case what is really necessary is to really listen to what the child is saying without, without offering perspective, interpretation, other perspectives, sound advice, as wise and right that those responses may be, and, and let them speak their heart, and then you could feel, ultimately feel, what's happening in their soul, and perhaps you'll be able to reach and discover the underlying reason for this child thriving on negativity. There's some void probably that's being filled. There may be a deep fear about something. It's hard to know. But the more you listen and validate and validate and validate, you can, I think, allow yourself to tune in and to excavate and discover deeper layers of this child's soul. And then you'll figure out what to do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rivka, for calling. Somebody uh, texted a question, Rabbi Jacobson. Based on the story you said before, please, how could, uh, tell us, please, how could we appreciate our children even if they jump around and act like chayas? <laughs> Listen, I, I, you know, there's an expression in Hebrew, im lo yoyil lo yazik, meaning if it's not going to be effective, at least it won't do any damage. A principal told this to me once about a certain child in a yeshiva. Im lo yoyil lo yazik. He's not really doing anything. He's not really effective. But you know what? He doesn't create damage. I looked at him and I said, you got it wrong. Im lo yazik lo yoyil. If he doesn't create any maza, if it has achis, then it's ineffective. Because a child who's jumping around, even a child who's rebellious, it's awesome. It means there's energy, there's creativity, there's life, there's passion, there's zest, there's vitality. Don't crush that. Don't destroy that. You want to channel it. You want to harness it. Children are... You want your children to jump around. Uh, I once had a child who was very, very active and very wild. And uh, the teacher told me in the middle of the year, he said, You know, I have great news for you, Rabbi Jacobson. When your son came in here, he would speak a lot. He would interrupt. He would run around. And now he sits. He doesn't say a word. And I looked at this teacher. It was so painful that the teacher didn't even understand how painful it was for me to hear that. Our goal is not to turn our children into robots. Our goal is to tune in to the unique diamond that every child is and harness their, harness their energy and the creativity in a wholesome, holy, sacred, beautiful, and, and, and happy way. So even when you see your child jumping around, 
the energy behind that is not bad. The energy behind that is, is getlich, is holy. Look at it, Musdi Now I know you may have a migraine headache and you just finished cleaning the house and you're exhausted and the baby is screaming and you didn't do the laundry and supper is not ready and somebody has an earache and you have a deadline with something else and you're making a bar mitzvah tomorrow night. We know that. So the practicalities you got to figure out. Of course, but the point is, don't allow the particular wildness to crush you and destroy you. On the contrary, look at it from a broader perspective. Cherish it, because there's a lot of goodness in that. The question is, how do we harness it? Maybe this child needs to run around a little more. Maybe this child needs sports. Maybe this child needs oxygen. Maybe this child needs an outlet. Maybe this child needs space. Maybe this child needs a friend. Maybe this child is too addicted to screens and their brain is going wild. They're on a computer for too long. Whatever it may be. So uh, this actually is a little bit on the topic we were just talking about. How do we deal with children, practically, uh, particularly very young, that do not listen to what the parents tell them to do, completely ignore and they say no. You don't want to create negative environment, but if they aren't listening, uh, when this age, when they're young, how are you going to be able to get them to listen to you when, you, when they are older? Excellent question. There are two extremes as far as this question, and I think both of them are wrong. One extreme is what's, what many people would call a very liberal and progressive approach, which is... Your child is your friend. You don't tell your child what to do. You discuss it with them. You try to distract them. Somebody told me that this child at a, at a simcha was jumping on the table. And they told the mother. And the mother refused to tell the child anything. The mother just engaged in a game with the child. And they were very upset about this. They asked me for my opinion. And then the other approach is no. No. You have to be stern and tough and strong and a disciplinarian, and this is the way it is. And if you don't like it, you could live in another house, and you're very tough about that. And I think that the derech of Torah, when we look at the Svarim, and we look at G'dayli Yisrael, is not one extreme or another extreme. Discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline is not an evil world word, even in Tavshin Ayin Hey, believe it or not. The question is, how you discipline? Are you disciplining from a place of anger, impulsiveness, insecurity? Or are you disciplining, disciplining from a place of wholesomeness, love, and security, and confidence, and optimism? If you're disciplining from a place of fear, toxicity, insecurity, anger, it's not good discipline. If I'm disciplining my child because I'm angry, I'm going to show him who's the boss, I'm going to get back at him, I'm going to teach him a lesson because you don't start up with me, then I myself am the child. I need to help myself. Discipline must come from a place, I love you, I cherish you, I want you to maximize your potentials, I want you to live a life true to your soul, true to your God, true to your identity. And therefore, I, as a father and a mother, I'm responsible to share with you this information, to implement this structure in the home for your benefit, for your sibling's benefit, for our benefit. And yes, a child needs to listen to the parents. But the parents have to look at themselves and say, how am I communicating my messages? Where are they coming from? How am I disciplining my children to listen to my messages? Remember, we discipline our children not because we're angry and frustrated. We discipline our children out of positive energy. 
I love my child and I want to make sure my child learns there's boundaries in life, there's respect in life, there's things that are good, there's things that are not good, there's moral behavior, there's immoral behavior, there's clean speech, there's dirty speech, there's the way a Jew lives, the way a human being lives, and there's the way we don't live. And this is my, my duty, it's my privilege. But if you're frustrated, and if you're angry, and if you're going to be screaming, if you're locking up your child in a room because you're too upset, then you're not in a position to discipline. Then it can be cruel, and it can be really counterproductive. So we have another email question. Somebody writes, how do you deal with an ADHD child who gets frustrated with every little thing that he does, not going the way he wants? He calls his father and mother bad names. Um, when we don't cater exactly to his wishes. Boy is seven and, and younger siblings starting to copy his behavior. Okay. The answer is you need guidance and advice from an expert in this field. It would be wrong of me to sit and, and guide you because every child with ADHD is a unique situation and it has unique challenges and unique gifts and unique vices. You must find somebody, and there's just plenty of people who can help you find those people if you can't, including myself or others, and uh, find an expert in this field, people who know the research, who have experience with this, and let them guide you, particularly with this child, how to respond when he calls you these names, how to create a structure in the house where on one hand this child is taken care of, this child is safe, this child is nurtured. On the other hand, you can't allow his challenges to erode the house, to create havoc, to create anarchy, to set examples for other children that won't, that won't uh, work well in the house. So I encourage you, seek out guidance and help because there's a lot of, lot of literature and good research on this particular issue. One more question and then we're going to take a break with uh, the Mazamrim. How, how do you teach siblings to treat each other with love instead of them talking to each other with a hateful tone and being spiteful to each other wh whenever they can? And uh, somebody else on the same topic, how do you treat siblings not to be jealous of one of another? I got more, I got less. Okay, well, children often are jealous, and the job of education is to constantly talk about it. In other words, the fact that your children are jealous of each other and mistreating each other, welcome to the human race. The first murder story in history was one brother killing another brother. And it hasn't changed. So if in your home one brother wants to kill his other brother, he's not worse than the children of Adam Harishan. The only difference is Cain actually killed Hevel, and I believe your son will not kill his brother. The bark is bigger than the bite. At least I hope so. So, first of all, don't think your family is unique. We all have to deal with this. Children are jealous. We're also jealous. Adults are also jealous. When we see what's happening at somebody else's home, we see our neighbor, we see our friend, our sister-in-law, our brother-in-law, our cousin, our nephew, this one has more, whatever it is, we all, you all know what I'm talking about, we all struggle with this issue. And the way to combat is, the way to combat is, is through setting a living example of everyone knowing that you have what you need from your creator to fulfill your mission in the world. And no two people have the same mission in the world. I'm going to give a very lovely parable that I have given my students over the years when it comes to education. And that is the animals 
got jealous of the human beings who have universities and colleges for higher studies, and the animals in the jungle decided they're also going to create a university of education, but they couldn't afford different faculties and departments and professors and buildings and colleges, so they decided all the animals will go through the same basic training. So the first year was dedicated to flying. The birds passed with flying colors, quite literally. But then they wanted the horse to fly, so they threw the horse off the roof. And lo and behold, the horse fell down and broke its leg. And the same happened with the deer. And the same happened with the stag. And the same happened with the cheetah, the tiger, the lion. They fell off and broke their legs. And at the end of the year, all of these animals were failed. And the decree was, the verdict was, they have to do it all over again the next year. And of course, the next year was dedicated to running. And the deer did amazingly well. But when it came Nebuch, to the birds, they were trying to run and run and run. Their limbs were broken. They almost died. And they also failed. And the next year was dedicated to swimming. And some did amazingly well. And most animals drowned in the process. So they were all failed. When it comes to animals... Nobody even entertains the thought that all animals are destined to do everything. Fly and swim and run. This is even animals. When it comes to human beings, the Tzalem Aleichem, far deeper, far more complex, does it really make sense to believe that every child is supposed to be suiting the cookie-cutter model and fitting in and doing what everybody else does, and that's even in one family. So the truth is, we would have to have a separate yeshiva for each child. The present budgets don't uh, <laughs> allow us to do that. So we put 20 or 30 or 10 or 15 in one class, and the less the better. But as parents, we always have to remember in ourselves and explain this to our children. No two souls are alike. No two brains are alike. No two hearts are alike. And most importantly, no two missions are alike. Your shlichus in the world is not mine. Your destiny is not mine. What I bring into this world is not what you bring into this world, not what your brother does, not what your sister does. You have everything you need. Loipachas, v'loyoyser. The koichas, the resources, the blessings, and the challenges to be able to fulfill your mission in the world. We need to impart this to our children, not through speeches. Children don't take well to speeches. Even adults don't take well to speeches. Trust me. We embody this to our children by the way we live, by the way we carry ourselves, and by the way we communicate this in a, in a consistent basis. But the jealousy, the rivalry, that's inherent to the human condition. That's why we're here to do the great mitzvah of Chinuch. Um, we are right now, we are in the middle of a conversation with Rabbi Jacobson, um, answering your chinuch questions, uh, rising to the challenge of raising happy children. Um, um, so we have another uh, um, email question. If a five-year-old deserves a punishment, I guess the parents decided that they deserve the punishment, and she cries and says, I hate myself for what I did. So how, do you res- how would you respond to that? Well, a child who says they hate themselves for what they did, they may be punishing themselves in a very dramatic way. So you want to make sure that your subsequent punishment will not reinforce that self-hate. To the contrary, 
What you want to explain to this child is that when we do something wrong, it does not reflect our essence. On the contrary, any mistake or error or sin or aveda or transgression we do is always something that is external to our true essence. Our essence is pure, wholesome, happy, sacred. Our neshama is a chelik elikam mimal mamish, as it says in the svarim. It's mamish a piece, it's a piece of Hashem. So when somebody says, I hate myself for what I did, never hate yourself for what you did. To the contrary, you have to recognize who you really are, and the more you will recognize that, the more you will stay away from doing this again. Recognize that you sometimes fall prey to a Sahara, to instincts, to forces that take control over you, but they never ever delegitimize your essence and never ever delegitimize the core of your child. Disagree with the act. Explain that this expression or this gesture or this type of behavior is inappropriate and one needs to apologize for it, but not for you to hate yourself. On the contrary, this should teach you and create a lesson for the future and realize how distant essentially this is from you. And the more we can teach our children how beautiful they are, how sacred they are, and how wholesome they are, and the more we can teach that to ourselves, the more we're guaranteeing that they will not repeat this action because people want to be successful. If they feel that they're good and they're success stories, then they won't revert, they won't resort to these types of behaviors in order to get attention or in order to feel successful. So the more we can show them how good they are and how much there is to love, the less they will usually gravitate to these types of behaviors. Another question via email. Somebody uh, writes here, the boys in yeshiva are taught that Torah is everything and that's the key to happiness. My child does not, my child does not feel that way. How could I, how could I encourage him or how, how do I? Well, this, <laughs> this raises a good question. Is the Torah the key to happiness? Let me ask you all a personal question. Are all people who learn Torah and observe Torah happy people? Are there people who are very into Torah and they're miserable people? Are there people who don't have Torah and they're happy people? This raises a very fundamental question in Hashkafa. Now, tonight is not the night of long shiurim and lectures on this topic, but let me just make what I think are could be crucial and vital points, at least as an opening conversation. I believe, and I, be, I believe that Torah can help a person with simcha, with happiness. But when we say Torah, that's a very broad term. What is Torah? How is Torah presented? What does Torah mean for them? There's two general ways in which I can educate a child with Torah. One way is, the Rabbeinu Shalom is the master of this universe. He's the boss. He gave you mitzvahs. He said what to do, what not to do. If you follow what he says, you're going to get schar. You're going to get reward in this world and even more in next world. If you don't follow what he says, if you disobey him, you will get punished in this world and certainly in Elam Haba in the next world. And then the child asks himself or herself, consciously or unconsciously, but what do I really want? 
I may not want that, but you know what? There's a bigger boss. I'm a slave. I'm an evet, and there's charenoynish, and it's very, very real. And the more I believe it's real, the better off I'll be because I'll follow the script. And when I follow the script, I will get reward. If I don't follow the script, I will get punishment. That's one approach. I'm not sure that that approach can really develop true simcha and can even really develop true emotional maturity. Because ultimately, the feeling that many young people have is that Torah is a dictatorship, and the Rebbeinu Shalom Kevayachal is a controller, and he just wants certain things, and you have no choice, because if you don't do it, you're going to get punished. If you do it, you get a reward. So the motivation is really something external to yourself, and something that doesn't affect you in your essence, and you actually may be completely uninterested and apathetic. I think a far more effective and deeper and truer way of being mechanach is, Hashem is not this force in heaven who's trying to force you to live a certain way. When we talk about the idea of enoid malvadai, there's nothing outside of him. What it really is saying is that for you to live according to Hashem's will means for you to live a life in which you're in touch with your truest self. To be connected to God, to be in dveikus with Hashem, means to be in dveikus with your pnimius, with your atzmius, with your mohus, with your deepest sense of self, with your neshama. An Aveira is not just transgressing a commandment of the Torah. An Aveira really means betraying your truest self, your truest identity. Reward and punishment are only reflects of the greatest reward and punishment is are you living a life in which you're maximizing your true self? What is your true self? Your true self is that you're a chelik alekami mal. You're not just a worthless creature. You're a piece of God. You're infinite. You're awesome. You're incredible. You're wholesome. You're sacred. You're holy. That's your true self. And the path of Torah is there to help you achieve that vekas with Hashem and with your own pnimius. Versus the other way. And I think when we emphasize that quality in Chinuch far more, then we can explain to our child how Torah and Mitzvah is not here to crush them, destroy them, repress them, even, even confine them and put them in shackles and chains. If that's the Torah and Mitzvah that we're giving them, of course it's going to deprive them from happiness. Why not live a free, uninhibited life without any boundaries and any limitations. We have to internalize in ourselves. It begins with ourselves. It doesn't begin with our children. It begins with ourselves. And then we can impart that to our children, that Torah and mitzvahs is a geshmakazach. And the reason it's a geshmakazach is, not only because in Eilam Haba we're going to realize that we have schar, because this is the opportunity for a human being to challenge himself or herself every day to suck the marrow out of life and to live life to the fullest biologically, spiritually, psychologically, and emotionally. And simcha in life comes when you become comfortable with your true self, you celebrate your true self, and you believe your life is meaningful and that every moment of your life is meaningful. And Torah represents all that. Torah believes that your inner self is beautiful and you could be comfortable with it. That's one ingredient for happiness. Torah believes every moment of your life is meaningful and that your life is a story of meaning. And I think in that sense, it can help a lot for Simcha. And probably your child is experiencing certain emotions. I would listen to that child and find out 
what are they hearing? Sometimes Bachrim or girls share with me what they're learning about Yiddishkeit, and I understand why they feel miserable by it. The messages are very, very repressive. Uh, a question via email. Somebody writes, first of all, thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for an amazing show. How can we get children not to lie? The kid wants to be perfect. They will portray perfection and even lie about things they don't know or have. Excellent question. Excellent question. How do we get children not to lie? Okay. There is a natural proclivity in some of us to lie for different reasons. One of the reasons is we are afraid to say the truth because what will the consequences be? And I think here we come to another big, you know, every one of these questions represents an opportunity to discover something about education. One of the most important Yisaitis in Chinuch is to be able to impart to our children that their value is unconditional and our love to them is absolute and unequivocal and nothing they can do, will, nothing they will do or don't do will alter that. In other words, it's not an Ahava HaTluya Bedavar, as the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avis, it's an Ahava She'ena Tluya Bedavar. Your essential self is absolutely lovable. Hashem loves you eternally, unconditionally, unequivocally. Ahavas Oilam Ahavtonu, Oilam Eternal and Unconditional. Remember that. And your tati and mommy have that same relationship. And it's not just words. They see it on your face. They feel it in your actions. And this decreases significantly the need to lie. Why is it, you know, we always blame children. Let's talk about adults. How many lies do people say a day? <laughs> do you know on average, how many times do people lie a day? Oh, I was supposed to be by you at 4 o'clock. This terrible traffic on the FDR, bumper to bumper. There's no traffic on the FDR. You just left your house 45 minutes late. We call those in English white lies. It's not a white lie. It's a lie. There's no traffic on the FDR. Stop lying. That's not a white lie. We say plenty of lies. One of the great motivations to lie is simply, what are you going to think of me if I say the truth? Will my value go down in your eyes? Why don't most of us lie? Why don't we say the truth? Why do we cover up? Because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to protect our identity. But what does it really mean? It really means that we feel that our identity's value is so frail and therefore we have to protect it. If you can really acknowledge that your core self's value does not go down as a result of saying, I made a mistake, why are we scared to say... I made a mistake, my Yetzirah got the better of me, I did something stupid, I was foolish, I was insecure, I was fearful. Why are we afraid to say this? We're afraid to say this because we believe that the value of our identity is based on a veneer of perfection. And if you believe I'm impeccable, I'm flawless, I'm perfect, you're going to like me. And if suddenly I'm apologizing and I'm making mistakes, oy vey, you're going to see my naked self, you're going to stop liking me. Because I don't like really myself. And that's a very tragic and sad condition. We have to embrace our etzem. We have to embrace our essence. Do we make mistakes? Of course. And the more you realize how beautiful and unconditionally loved your essence is, the more you can apologize for your mistakes. Because you're not going to melt. You won't disappear. Your significance won't fade away into oblivion. And actually people will like you and cherish you much more. 
I hope you understand what I'm saying because it's a very important idea and the same is with our children. The more I can communicate to my child that his or her ability to be vulnerable and apologize for a mistake and speak the truth, even if the truth is embarrassing, the more they can do it, the better off they are because it demonstrates that they have a core sense of value that does not go away. Which types of people can be vulnerable in life? People who are secure or people who are insecure? People who trust in their own core wholesomeness can be more vulnerable about their flaws. People who feel that there's nothing really there are always covering up and are always lying. So I want to teach my child that the reason we don't lie is not just for some spiritual abstract reason. It's the most practical way to live. Because when you are living a life of lies, you're not really living. You're living a fake life. Everything is a cover-up. You're just in touch with the shells of life. To live an honest life means you're just in touch with, with life. You speak the truth. They say that people who lie have to have good memories. You know, because I have to remember what I told you yesterday. When you say the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. So, so you want to sh- you want to show this to your child how 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 lying is not just it's not just wrong. It's it's disgusting. It's pathetic. It's pathetic that you have to live this way. It's pathetic that you have to live in a way that you can't face up to who you are. Incredible. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Uh, we have a phone call. We have. Freddy from Borough Park. Freddy from Borough Park, you're on the air with Rabbi Jacobson. Freddy, yes, I want to know if you could address the issue of bullying a little bit. Of bullying? Oh, bullying. That's a, that's a fully loaded question. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, um, Any specific can you, question? Right. Can you be a little more specific? Well, I want to know how you would handle if you uh, find out that your child was bullied. And we're talking about... That's actually, such actually, a young age, child. Actually, it's a, it's a double. What if you find out your child was bullied? And what if you find out that your child is the bully? It's a, both, right, both ends of the question. Right, right. It's a wonderful question. If I found out my child was being bullied, the first thing is I would be alarmed. I would not be passive. I would not be quiet. I would not go to sleep and say, oh, things will work out and I'll grow up and everybody will grow up. I would be alarmed and I would immediately get involved and get to the bottom of it and make a stop to it. Bullying is a very, very serious thing. It cannot be tolerated under any circumstances. No matter the reason, no matter what the background is, bullying cannot be tolerated. The teacher, the principal has to immediately be notified. The teachers, the principals, the educational leaders of an institution, the parents, have to all take a unified stand and communicate to the bully that this behavior is completely intol- will not be tolerated under any circumstances. But I want to add one more thing, and this is a fascinating insight in the Hebrew language in Lashon Kaidish. Do you know what the word for a bully is in Hebrew? The word is alam, like we have in Gemara, called the alim gvar, whoever is strong. Uh, what? Yeah, an alam is a strong a bully, a bully. He, he goes with force. Do you know what the word for mute in Hebrew is? Elaim. The same letters, Aleph, Lamed, Mem. Sometimes children who are muted become bullies. 
because their their energy is using aggression as an outlet because they're being muted. And it's true in so many areas. Different instincts and addictions that are destructive are coming because there is an energy in us that has been muted and it's not been expressed. So we also have to tune into the life of the bully. What is going on in his home? What is going on in her home? What is his relationship with his father? How is his father treating him? You know, if a father insults a child, if a father denigrates a child, that child becomes crushed inside and is going to search for an outlet for it. So sometimes the bully is the greatest victim. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that my child who is being bullied should have to tolerate that. So therefore, it's, and sometimes it could be an emergency because children have been destroyed emotionally as a result of this. And one has to be very sensitive to this. I would immediately get involved, find out what's going on, and make every change that's necessary. I would not allow my child to go into a classroom if he's being bullied. I would not delay it a day. I would certainly not delay it a week. This is something that you have to immediately act upon. We also have to be mature and distinguish between bullying and a fight. Children are supposed to fight. That's part of being a child. And, uh, you know, children get into fights, they get into arguments, and we have to always distinguish between uh, bullying and, and, of course, regular fights. And in regard to the, uh, if, if you find out that your child is a bully, how do you help? If you find out that your child is a bully, then you really have to act immediately. You have to speak to your child, but really you have to go to the primius of your child. You have to find out why this elame is elame. What is he... What is he muted? What is he not talking about? What is he feeling? What is he experiencing? And you have to make it clear to your child that, that you, you, you know he's a good child and he wouldn't want to do this really to hurt the other child. And, and it's unacceptable behavior. But on the other hand, you don't, you don't just want to attack him and blame him and turn him into a chayera. You want to show him that you're here for him. I'm telling you that in many, many, many instances, his bullying is a symptom of a desperation within himself. And by just bullying him and saying, if you open your mouth once more to this child, you will, this and this one does happen, we will just reinforce that he is essentially a bully and a bad kid. And we don't want to do that. We want to help the victim, but we also want to help the bully, who's also a child. Thank you so much, uh, Freddy from Borough Park. If my child was punished in school for doing something that he did, should he be punished again at home? I had a you remember how it used to be in the good old days. You came home and you told your father you were punished, so now you were erst punished. Now you were erst punished again. So that's his question. And that's why you never told your father you were punished. Well, here we get into the issue of punishments. Why would anybody ever punish a child in order to punish? The word punishment is a very serious word. Let's understand this. We never punish a child just to punish a child. We punish a child because we love the child and we want to help the child polish his or her diamond. If you're punishing for any other reason, you have no business punishing your child. Let me use this also as a marshal for the Rabbi Nishalem. When we speak about ancient punishments in Torah, Chas v'shalom to think that God, Hashem sits back and oh, this guy did bad, I'm going to punish him. 
Why would somebody who loves you like crazy want to punish you? There shouldn't be any punishments ever. In fact, I'm very careful with the word punishment because it's misconstrued. You don't want to punish your child. You want to educate your child. You want to help your child. You want to uplift your child. You want to help your child see themselves in a way that empowers them, that they don't have to engage in behavior that is counterproductive for them. That's what you want to do. You don't want to punish your child to punish your child. So why would you punish your child a second time? Memonavshech. If the punishment is about helping the child discover their beauty, if that's what it's about, gesundte hate. If it's just about making a point, hey, you're not going to get away with this, and I'm going to teach you who's boss, then you have to look into yourself much deeper, because you're responding to your child from a place of uh, immaturity, and you may be a little bit of a child. There's a beautiful vart. Kabed es avicha ve'esimecha doesn't only mean respect your father and your mother. It means respect your fatherhood and motherhood. Kabed es avicha, respect yourself as a father. Respect the father in you. Respect the institution of father. You know, some of us look in the mirror and we still feel that we are babies. And the truth is we are babies. We're all children in some ways. When you're a father and a mother, respect your role as a father and a mother. You're not a baby anymore, and you can't respond from a place of immaturity. Sometimes when a father is punishing a son or a daughter or a mother, it's a nine-year-old fighting with another nine-year-old. The father was ticked off, he was offended, because he didn't get something he needs because of his own his own experiences maybe as a child. So it's a nine-year-old fighting with a nine-year-old. You don't want to do that. If you're coming from that place, then go away, take a deep breath, relax, go to the gym, eat supper, let out your stress, do 70 push-ups, it's anyway a good thing to do. Get on the treadmill for 55 minutes, and then discipline your children. We discipline our children from a place of wholesomeness. If you're not feeling your love to your child when you're disciplining, then most likely it's not discipline. What it is, is an outlet, you're venting your anger. And our children are not punching bags. Punching bags are in the gym. Go to the gym, go to CrossFit, and punch out that punching bag. Knock it out, and knock yourself out. If you don't want to go to the gym, take a bat, go to your garage, and bat your tire 300 times, because tires don't need therapy. (laughs) Once you let out all that steam, you let out all that energy... Now, look at your child in the eyes and, and speak from a place of, of, of ruchnias, from a place of simcha, from a place of ahava, from a place of, of wholesomeness, of, of self-love. It's getting late. I'm actually looking at the questions. There's really a lot of great questions, and uh, we're going to we're have to narrow them down. Um, somebody writes here, teenagers... They are very smart and quick to find ways how to, how to do as they please, especially with an excuse of, uh, I'm an adult already. You can't force or tell me what to do. How do, you, how do we deal with this without using force or letting them do as they please in our home, letting them do as they please in our home, where we are the ones in charge? Thank you again for your time. Aye, aye, aye. If I would have a good answer to your question... Yes. Um, okay, I'm going, I'm going to say something about your question. I do want to mention the fact that, you know, we're talking about chinuch and children. And, 
you know, so many of us have to remember that we're blessed to have all these challenges and all these questions about children. And, and this is a moment to address and, and express our true gratitude to this great organization of A-Time that is selflessly that is dedicated to all those couples who are not yet blessed with, with Zara Chayev Kayama who yearn day in and day out and crave for the day that they'll be able to phone in to this radio show and say, what should I do when my child doesn't listen to me? And what should I do when my child destroys the house? And what should I do when my child pours the orange juice on the floor? And, and we all pray for them tonight, and we congratulate A-Time for doing such extraordinary work to strengthen these couples, to escort these couples in their journey, to be there for them uh, throughout the entire process. Now, as far as, uh, as, uh, as teenagers, let me, let me say this. Here again, there's a very delicate balance. On one hand, you don't want to create a home where there's a dictatorship, and your teenagers are basically frightened, or they don't feel welcome in the house, and you just tell them this is the rules, and if you want to move out, you can move out, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, just because they're teenagers, it doesn't mean they don't need parents, it doesn't mean they don't need guidance, and it doesn't mean they don't have to be communicated to. So you want to create a very delicate balance, and I think the best way maybe to deal with this is I was once speaking about, I was once uh, addressing a conference of educators in Eretz Yisrael in Israel. And a Baba Verchasset stood up and he said something beautiful. He said that once in Borough Park, we're sitting here in Borough Park, there was a Malava Malka with the old Baba Verov, Rib Shloyma. Rib Shloyma, who passed away, Tovshin Samach, I think, 2000, right? And of? Rishchaydishav. Tovshin Samach. Rib Shloyma. And he said there was a Malava Malka, and the, the, the Ruv, the Baba Verov, was supposed to come in. And there was a girl, a young girl, a teenage girl, who needed to speak to her father. So she came down to the base Madrash, and she called her father over, and he went over there to the corner in the front, and they were schmoozing. The Baba Verov came down earlier than they imagined, and he's walking to the front, and this girl is standing with her father right there, and... Uh, you know, they didn't realize, and these guys felt that the, the roof would, you know, would be very upset. You know, this girl is talking to her father right here in the front. So he told me that they made a mechitza around the Baba Verov that he shouldn't see. <laughs> Basically a human circle around him, so he shouldn't see what's going on. And he says, as he walked in, he turned to all those guys, including himself, including this man who was telling me the story at this conference, and he, and he pointed to this daughter and father, and he says, kicked, kicked, kicked. Look, look, look at them, look at them. And he said, See how a father speaks to a daughter like they were best friends. And I think what the Baba Verov meant was something very, very important. And that is, we have to build relationships with our children. You want to create an atmosphere in your home where your daughter or your son wants to share with you. A father calls me up the other day and he says, Rabbi Jacobson, I discovered that for three weeks my son was telling me that he's going to this and this person's home and really he was going to another home. He's such a liar. I told him, Rabbi, you know, I was just reading in the newspaper that the FBI is looking for a new agent. And I think you would be unbelievable as an FBI agent because you have such investigative powers. So he says, you're making fun of me? I said, no, I know you need a job, and I think you'd be very good at the FBI. My point to him was, 
Okay, so you have that your child lied to you. Is that the point? What are you going to do about it? Why do you think your child is lying to you? There's, there's a lack of trust. There's no relationship here. We have to invest in the relationship. You want to be able to have open, intimate, real, deep conversations with your teenagers. Your teenage kids are good kids. They have good mothers. They have good fathers. They're good kids. They grew up in nice homes. They're good kids. They have great neshamas. Talk to them. Listen to them. Communicate to them. And in a clever way, guide them. They need guidance. They need assistance. But as much as possible, you don't want confrontation. You don't want, you want to avoid that. You don't want to create negative energy. You want to create an ambiance where they feel they can communicate. They can ask their questions. They can, they can express their views. They can express their emotions. And then with tremendous wisdom and love and also clarity... Teach them about life. Talk to them about when you were a teenager. Explain to them things about the world. You know, today we have to speak to our children because they're going to find out everything. It's not like we can raise our children and they're locked up in this ghetto and we could tell them the information they want. At some point, I don't care if you're living in Muncie or in Lakewood or in Williamsburg or in Yerushalayim or in B'nai Brak or in Borough Park. Maybe you're living in a very sheltered community. Unfortunately, your children are going to discover a lot, and sometimes from the wrong sources. The more we can speak to them, communicate with them, have dialogue with them, the better it is. I'm going to tell you something that the Helika Lechevich has said. You heard of the Lechevich's He said, Rebbeinu Shlelem tells Noyach, take your wife, your children, come into the Teva because there's a flood. The word Teva means a box, uh, uh, an ark. But the word Teva means a word, right? Like Rosh Tevis, a word. Boyala Teva. Come into the word. So the Hedlik Alechevich has said this. When there's a flood outside in the world, Boyala Teva. Take your wife, take your children, and enter into a dialogue with them. You need to have conversation with them. If there was no flood outside, you could just take things for granted. When there's a marble, when there's a raging marble, medaf reiden medzei, medaf shmuzen medzei, nitshrayin, shmuzen, boyla teva, enter into a dialogue. Listen, listen, and communicate, and listen more, and share, and talk, and let them talk. Boyla teva, explain to them why Torah is the best to Demonstrate to them that halacha, that sneers, that edelkeit, that kedusha, that tara, are not here to crush the teenage spirit. They're here to enhance the teenage spirit, to harness, to channel the teenage spirit, to help them grow up into the happiest, successful people. Torah is here to protect our bodies, to protect our souls, to tell young girls that no, nobody owns you. You're not an object. You're not living that somebody else could be able to enjoy you as an object. On the contrary, your dignity is infinite. We need to explain these things to our daughters, to, to our sons. Enter into a dialogue.
Incredible, incredible. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jacobson. And uh, th you. there's actually many, many more people that text and emailed questions. And unfortunately, we weren't able to get to them. But uh, I guess, what, what was the email? If they have any uh, direct, if they want to uh, contact Rabbi You can go to theyeshiva.net. That's T-H-E, yeshiva.net. And over there, there's an email. And you can contact me. It'll come to me. Very good. Thank you so much. And uh, was, this was really, really enlightening, really uh, inspirational. And as Rabbi uh, Jacobson said, you know, uh, there are many, many couples that they wish they had these questions. And they're probably thinking, some of them might be even listening right now and thinking to themselves, that's what they're asking. I wish I had a child acting like a chai in my house, as Rabbi Jacobson said earlier. But This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.